Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Luke 20, 27 through 40. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Luke 20 in your Bible. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless, then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in that resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die any more, because they are like the angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed, in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God of not the dead, but of the living, for to him for to him, all of them are alive. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him another question. Well, we've been traveling with Jesus and his disciples uh, from the Gospel of Luke towards the city of Jerusalem and uh, towards the end of this story, which will result in Jesus' death and his resurrection. That's where, that's where this story has been going the entire time, from, from page one to where the story is going. Well, they finally have made it into the city of Jerusalem, and they have, they have gotten there. And, and we've, we've experienced some of the controversies that have been mixed up with Jesus, right? He's, there's people who don't necessarily like who he is and what he's doing. In fact, there are, there are lots of issues surrounding him in terms of authority. In fact, the, the passages we didn't look at uh, between last week's and this week's uh, had to do with those questions. Uh, Pharisees are like, by whose authority are you doing these things? And, and Jesus is like, I'm not going to tell you. Really, it's kind of what he says. He asked them a question in return, and, then, and they don't want to answer it, and so he doesn't answer their question. But there's all this kind of mix-up. Uh, there, there's a lot of excitement, though, because the way Jesus comes into the, the city of Jerusalem is in kind of triumph and, and uh, lots of party, right? It's, it's the story we tell every year at Palm Sunday. He comes into the city of Jerusalem uh, riding a donkey, and the crowds are there waving palm branches saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the, name of the king, the Lord. And, and, and so there is expectation and a buzz about the city. Something is, is going to happen, and everybody knows it. Uh, well, as you imagine, some of those who have begun to follow Christ uh, and, and understand what Jesus is trying to do, or at least think they understand what Jesus is doing, they're excited because they think that God's kingdom has finally come. And, and some of them are excited that he's going to kick out the Romans and everything's going to be great again. Some of the religious leaders, on the other hand, are excited because... Well, they finally have a chance to have Jerusalem on their home, or Jesus in their home turf, and they are excited to get rid of him. Like, that is their goal. 
they're expecting that, that they can do something to cause Jesus to get himself in enough trouble uh, that they can, they can be, be rid of him because he's causing trouble and he's, well, he doesn't have the authority that they think he, ha- or he thinks he has. And uh, they're challenging all kinds of things. Well, in, in this scene, uh, one of the common things that would happen in, in Luke's gospel and the other ones as well is that the religious leaders would ask questions of Jesus to, uh, to discredit them. And so the group that asks the question this time is not the Pharisees. We've met the Pharisees, right? They're kind of a uh, lay religious group. Some of them are priests. They're all experts in the law. They think that if... if uh, God's going to come back, God's Messiah is going to come, that everybody's got to follow the law to the, to the letter, and it's just whatever. Scene shifts. The antagonists are not the Pharisees. They are the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees are uh, a priestly class. They're actually a group of pre- police, priests in Jerusalem. That's kind of why we don't see them before this. Uh, they, they likely can trace their priestly heritage back to King David's high priest, uh, Zadok, Z-A-D-O-K, I don't know, however you say it. And so they they are legitimate religious leaders in Israel. A couple of things that are important to know about them that help us understand the question that's happening at this particular point. One, they only believe that the first five books of the Old Testament have any kind of real authority. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, wow. The five, yeah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yeah. Five books above, we call them the Pentateuch, or if you're a Jewish person, the Torah, the law. And so they they probably would have uh, read the prophets, Isaiah and and Malachi and those things like that, but, but the authority of how they were to live life came from those first five books of the Bible, Pentateuch. The second thing that's important to understand about the Sadducees is that they didn't believe in the resurrection or angels or anything like that. For them, if you died, you just died. You were dead. That's the end of it. Uh, whereas the Pharisees, on the other hand, they, they believed in the resurrection. Uh, and obviously Jesus does too, uh, by the way he answers this and, and by the fact that he does get resurrected, right? Uh, this causes a lot of infighting with the, within the Jewish religious leadership. And so the, the fact that the, the Sadducees ask the question that they ask uh, tells us right away that they, they're not really, really not concerned with the true answer to this particular question. Their interest is only to say something, to get Jesus to say something that will get himself in trouble. Well, so they asked the question, and uh, like we've heard, they're like, so Jesus, there's this guy, he's one of seven brothers. He gets married and uh, tries to have a baby boy to pass on his family name. Doesn't happen. He dies, and his wife marries his next brother, and so on and so on and so on, until all of the brothers are dead, and so is the wife. And they ask this question. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the wom- woman be? For she had married, for the seven had married her. Now, uh, if you're Jesus and you're the disciples, you're probably thinking this, right? It's a trap. Right? Like, they, they're not stupid. They understand who the, the Sadducees are. 
and they understand what they're getting at. So um, another little bit of information that will be helpful to understand the question that these Sadducees have asked uh, is a common practice. I don't know how common it actually was, but if you look back at Deuteronomy chapter 25, you will find a, uh, a law that's called Levite marriage. And Levite marriage, it's the Latin word for brother-in-law. And, and it goes like this. It's like if you are married and uh, you're a man and your wife doesn't give birth to a, a baby boy to carry on the name, then it is the responsibility of one of your male family members, doesn't have to necessarily be a brother, but usually it was if you had a brother, to marry your wife after you're gone and to produce a male heir. Uh, the first child that would be born would in fact be considered the dead man's child. That's just, just kind of how they did it. And a couple of things, reason for this. One, it was to ensure that uh, a, a man's heritage kept going on, right? Because uh, in a world where everything is oral, where there's not a whole lot written down, um, your legacy, your remembrance is your children. If you died, with, if you were a man and you died without children, especially a male child, then you were, you were dead to, to the world. You didn't matter anymore. And so this was to help ensure that, that a man's life would continue to go on. Now, it's not all about the man. It's also intended, God intends this to be a way in which uh, people and families can take care of women who have been widowed. Because women are, and, and widows, and we've talked about this before, are the very, well, they're, they're the, almost the very bottom of the vulnerable people. If you, if you did not have a man to take care of you in Jesus' day, you were susceptible to all kinds of things. Uh, poverty, homelessness. Uh, a lot of times, uh, women who were widowed, if they didn't have anybody to take care of them, if they didn't have any means, ended up in, in prostitution as a way to keep themselves alive. And so this law, it, it's twofold, to help a man have a, a heritage and to take care of women uh, who find themselves in vulnerable situations. So they asked the question. And I imagine that as Jesus is kind of processing this, I, I really think that his, his response, his facial expression may have been like, this is my favorite in the world. Wait for it. He's going to blink. There we go. Seriously? I don't know how many times my wife sends me this via text. Just, seriously? But I, I'm pretty sure I, we do a lot, a lot of times to, uh, we do a lot of times to kind of sanitize Jesus, to, to wipe him of personality. And I've got to believe he's, I've got to believe he has some personality, Right? And, and so I, I just, it's fun for me to imagine how he's going to respond physically and verbally to these kinds of questions. Because this question is just an absolutely stupid question. Well, he, uh, there's two parts to his answer. Uh, and the first, let's read it here. Then Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, uh, but those who are considered worthy of a place in the age in that age, and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. A couple of things. Uh, we must remember that Jesus, or Luke, is telling this story, the Gospel of Luke, from an apocalyptic perspective. Remember, we've said that the last couple of weeks. And all of the word, all of the word apocalyptic means is to reveal, right? 
So Jesus has constantly been about revealing what the kingdom of God looks like. Uh, the kingdom of God is the way things should be, the way God intended them to be in the first place. It's the way things will be when Christ returns and makes all things right. It's the kingdom of God. Uh, but, but Christianity has believed, and Jesus believes, and he says this often, he says, the kingdom of God has come already in, in him. That the kingdom of God, the way things are, is beginning to change just as Jesus is born through his life and his teaching. We'll continue through his death and through his resurrection. Uh, that it's already here, but it's not yet fully complete. We've, we've talked about that before, and we'll talk more about that in coming weeks. So Jesus' answer is to help us continue to understand what this coming age is like, what the kingdom of God is like. And so he says, uh, for those of you who are considered worthy of a place in that age. Now, what in the world might that mean? I think if we, if we look at, given the entire flow of the Gospel of Luke so far, those who are worthy of a place in God's kingdom, in this new age, this new, this new time that is dawning because of Jesus Christ, are those who have lived with selfless love who have given their lives in self-sacrifice for others. Those who have lived with compassion and mercy and justice. Who have exercised radical hospitality. Those who are worthy of a place in the kingdom of God are not like some of the characters we have already, uh, we've already seen in the story, right? They are not the rich guy in Jesus' story about the rich man and Lazarus, right? They are not the kind of people who consistently walk past uh, vulnerable and broken people without giving any kind of aid. Uh, They're not like the Pharisee we looked at a couple of weeks ago who stood in the middle of the temple and prayed, Dear Lord, thank you that I am not like this tax collector and sinner. Those are not the people who are worthy of the coming age, but those who have lived lives of self-sacrifice, love, and mercy, and justice, and hospitality, loving God and loving others as their self. That's uh, not to mention, that's not saying like we do those things to earn our salvation, right? It's not what Jesus is talking about. But that is the outflow of the fruit of us following in Christ's steps is doing those kinds of things. Those who are considered worthy of belonging to the kingdom of God, well, when they get to the kingdom of God, they are neither given in marriage or they never marry, right? They're they're dead. I think one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of God is different. The things, the priorities, the things that we place importance on here and now, they aren't the things that are important in the kingdom of God, this new age. The things that are important like uh, my heritage, right? My ability to make a name for myself, either through uh, the work that I do with my hands or through my my children, right? The things that, that don't matter in the kingdom of God are there are a whole lot of things. It's not your wealth. The things that matter in the kingdom of God are not who you vote for, what political party you belong to, or what job you had. 
things that matter in the kingdom of God are love and self-sacrifice and peace and mercy and justice and hospitality. It's like you guys have it wrong, you Sadducees. Because you are totally stuck in this world and in this age, concerned only about the things of here and now and not concerned about the kingdom of God the way that God is working and wants the world to be. So that's the first thing. Kind of gives it to him that way. The second thing, he said, uh, well, actually, he, he uses uh, an example uh, from the Old Testament, from uh, the book of Exodus, right? So he knows that these Sadducees only consider those first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Only those are authoritative, right? And he goes, he goes directly to the book of Exodus. Moses is out and he's tending sheep uh, and he sees the burning bush and he goes over to it, right? You know, that takes off your, uh, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. And he talks to him and tells, you know, go to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says further, he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Jesus will say, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Right, now, Jesus or Luke, they don't tell us how, how it might be or in what state these guys are living in relation to God. Uh, but I think, I, I think there's something important here about what happens to us. Uh, that, that we die, yeah, but that... Christ is coming again and that we will one day be raised from the dead and that we will, we, will, we will be in the kingdom of God in the way that we were supposed to be. God is the God of living, not the dead. The, the Pharisees, uh, they know that they've been had, right, at this point. They're like, we tried to answer a question or have him answer a question that would get himself in trouble. And all Jesus has done is used our own logic, kind of in, in our own sources, to defeat us. And so they kind of storm off and, uh, and don't ask him any more questions. I, I think these two things, though, the way in which Jesus answers these questions are important. That uh, I think... Jesus is calling us to orient ourselves and our lives not according to the things that are important here and now but the things that are important to God's kingdom. The the choices that we make in our life not that this life isn't important because it's desperately important but that the choices that you make about who you are friends with. The choices about how you spend the money that you earn. The choices about what you do in your free time and and how you care for those whom you see day in and day out who are broken and hurting. Jesus is saying these, this is the age to come. This is the kingdom of God. And the things that mattered before don't matter now. But I think he's also saying, look, 
this isn't the end either. Like in contrast to the Sadducees, you're not just dead when you're dead. You're dead, but then you're alive again because, because God continues to be our God in the midst of whatever is next. And that God is going to come back and we're all going to be resurrected and we're all going to live in the world in the way that God has intended it to be. And all of those things that, well, that should matter to us now won't matter. And we'll live with love and peace and justice and hospitality. This is hard, I think, for us because we get wrapped up every day. We watch the news. We get on social media, go to work, and we are constantly tempted to only be considered concerned with the things that are important or that the world tells us are important here and now. And generally, what the world tells us is important is us is serving ourselves. And this is in deep contrast to the kingdom of God. We're going to, we'll be done here. And we're going to sing a song and like we have been last time, and I'm going to pray for us here in a second. But but while we pray and while we sing the song, I I want you to, to, I want you to think about the ways in which you have prioritized things that are important now, but that aren't important to God and God's kingdom. I want you to think about the patterns of your life. Am I concerned only with myself and what I can gain? The name that I can make for myself. The legacy that I leave behind. Or am I concerned for my neighbor? all of my neighbors, the ones who are doing well and the ones who aren't doing well, the ones that look like me and the ones that don't look like me, the ones who believe like me and act like me and the ones who don't believe and act like me. And if you find that your life is not, well, if it's not oriented towards God's coming kingdom, if you think that you may not be found worthy of the age to come, well, confess it. Confess your self-centeredness and your being wrapped up in your own self. And then ask for the Spirit of God to help you to change your life so that you are not concerned with the things of this world, with the things of God. Let's pray. So we, we confess that, like the Sadducees, we, we don't get it that we're overly concerned about our own life and the things that we might leave behind. That we're too concerned maybe about what people think or whatever. And we confess those things to you. We confess that we have not acted and had the priorities that you would have us have. We ask you through the power of your spirit to well, to help continue to reveal those things to us so that we might continue to confess them, that we might continue to move away from them so that we might orient our lives to live in the kingdom of God as citizens of your kingdom, even in the midst of this world now. Lord, you know how hard this is. 
you know that a commitment to the kingdom of God is costly. That in fact, that it cost you your life. Lord, help us to get past that. Help us to trust in your words when you told us that if, if we share in your suffering, if we share in your death, if we are killed or whatever because we have committed ourselves to loving the world in the way that you have loved it, that we will ultimately also share in your resurrection. That is our hope. Help us to, to have the faith that we need to have. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.